Small Changes, Big Impact, a DFCM podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Jeremy Resmovitz. In studio today, we have Michael Kidd, family doctor and head of the Department of Family and Community Medicine at the University of Toronto and director of the World Health Organization Center for Family Medicine and Primary Care. Today's episode focuses on what you can do to change the world. I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you so much for coming in today. Thank you, Jeremy. So you've done a lot. You've been around, as they say. Um, Or maybe you've just been up and down the block and you've noticed different things over the world that you've seen. Um, I looked up your... um, your bio. Uh, I've been doing some Googling. I don't know if your ears have been burning since I've been Googling you. Um, so you've, you've done a lot as uh, past president of the uh, Australian Royal College of General Practitioners, um, past president of Wonka, um, World Organization for Family Doctors, and now you're here as the chair of the Department in Family and Community Medicine at U of T. And so uh, one thing I've noticed is that um, the name um, is different in every single country, um, you know, for primary care or, or family doctors or family and community doctors, uh, GPs. I just want to hear your take on that. Uh, you know, if there's any um, any important things that we should take from the name. What's in a name? Mm, what's in a name? It's a really good question. Um, I don't think the name actually matters so much as what people do. And what we're talking about here is is the context where people work. So doctors who are working in the community, doctors who are the first point of contact uh, for their patients who are seeking uh, medical advice, doctors who are providing care uh, over the lifespan of people, so continu- what we call continuity of care, doctors who are providing comprehensive care, so looking after um, or managing the breadth of uh, conditions which may impact on their patients and their communities, uh, and doctors who are helping to coordinate care with other healthcare providers um, uh, and other services, uh, both uh, hospital services and also in the community. So, you know, that's what a family doctor is. That in Australia we call that a general practitioner. Uh, that's a specialist who's been trained in family medicine, has done specialty postgraduate training. Uh, in Canada, we call it a family physician. Uh, in other parts of the world, it may be a primary care doctor or a primary care uh, physician. But it, it doesn't matter what we call people because you know the names different in different countries because healthcare has evolved differently in different countries and there's different cultures of how uh, healthcare is uh, delivered and the expectations of communities in different countries. That doesn't matter. Um, but what what is it? You know, it's it's my family doctor. It's the doctor that I trust for my medical care and advice, the doctor that my family trusts uh, for their medical care and advice. And so how do you see family medicine evolving in Toronto? in mm-hmm. Ontario, Canada right now? Well, I, th- I think that, firstly, family medicine is very strong in Canada. Family medicine is the the, the base of our healthcare system, if you like. Most uh, people uh, can relate to family medicine. Hopefully most of the people listening have their own family doctor. Uh, if they don't, uh, they should have, because there's really good evidence uh, that shows that having a ongoing relationship with your own family doctor is actually very good for your own health and uh, improves uh, your life expectancy uh, and the 
uh, and the uh, outcomes and life expectancy of your family. So it's a really important component of our healthcare system. It's a really important uh, way of helping to keep uh, the members of our community as well as possible for as long as possible because, of course, we integrate preventive care, health promotion into the work that we do. Uh, it's a good way of keeping people away from our hospitals. Uh, here in Ontario, we have a challenge at the moment with too many people uh, being cared for in our emergency uh, departments, um, wards and corridors which uh, are overfull of uh, of people if we if we invest in strong family medicine in strong primary care we we prevent a lot of those emergency uh, admissions and uh, attendances um, you know what do we do in family medicine we're really good at uh, at understanding the health of the population that we serve we're really good at uh, the early detection and diagnosis of chronic disease we're really good at preventing chronic diseases from developing to the point where people uh, get serious morbidity or, or early um, mortality uh, as a consequence. We're really good at integrating mental health uh, with physical health. Uh, we're really good at providing care throughout the spectrum of life, including uh, the members of our community who are elderly, who are frail, who have significant disability. Uh, what we need to be doing more of, though, and this is, I think is very exciting, is better integration of the care we provide in family medicine and primary care with other providers, with the other community providers, with hospital care, and also with social care, um, the home-based care services, which, uh, which many of our patients need, and which, you know, if we're, we're integrating that well, actually prevents people from needing to be admitted to hospitals and may actually uh, help keep a lot of people uh, in their own homes rather than having to move into long-term care settings. Uh, as well. So I've recently um, read your book, Every Doctor. Um, it's a great title. And uh, honestly, I think everyone should read it. It's, it's filled with small changes and suggestions. One of the suggestions in the book actually is get your own family doctor. As a, as a, as a doctor yourself, as a physician, you need your own doctor, right? A physician, heal, a physician who has himself as a patient is a, has a, has a fool for... A, tr a physician who treats himself as a fool for a patient, I believe, is the is the quote so, quote from Sir William Osler, great Canadian? Yeah, he's a great Canadian. Um, as as an aside, I need a family doctor. Mine just retired. Um, it's it's a tragedy that um, there's only a, a lifespan. I think I figured out you need a minimum of two, usually average of three family doctors in your lifetime. And it always uh, amazes me that um, patients come in and said, I, "I didn't think I'd ever need another family doctor," but no one's doing family doctor math, which is. Your career is only about 40 to 50 years. That's not the span of most people these days. Uh, so if you know anybody, let me know. But as an aside, um, something else you said is um, we need better integration of care. And so in the Globe and Mail on the weekend, I don't know if you had a chance to, to see the article on um, the state of psychiatry and mental health and the fact that um, we are not providing enough mental health care for our patients as a population as a whole, and also for, I think, doctors as a whole. There's a, there's a ton of burnout that's going on. And it's not just this profession, but it's, it's a lot of professionals. And the question is, how can we do better? I know you mentioned better integration, but like, let, let's have a chat. Let's try and figure out and maybe generate some ideas um, and come up with uh, some challenge for maybe our listeners that we can improve the state of mental health 
especially here at the small stage in, in Toronto, and, and think bigger globally. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Well, first up, I think that there are some excellent services providing mental health uh, in Toronto and in Canada. The challenge is access, and the challenge is equitable access uh, for everybody in the community. So some people are getting access to uh, really good uh uh, mental health care and many aren't. The reality is most mental health care services, medical mental health care services in Canada are delivered through family medicine. They're not delivered by psychiatrists. They're delivered by family doctors. Family doctors are specialists in mental health, in the diagnosis and management of depression, the diagnosis and management of anxiety, supporting our patients with chronic um, mental health conditions in supporting our patients who may have uh, addiction uh, challenges for themselves and their families. Much of this doesn't need to uh, be treated by uh, psychiatrists or other specialists. Most of this should be managed and managed well in uh, in primary care by family doctors. Um, and uh, and part of that also is, you know, it's it's hard for family doctors to be doing a lot of this work all on their own. So if you're working as a solo doctor in your in your practice all on your own, it, people do get burned out and there there is some risk. And one of the models of care that I really uh, like here in Ontario is the, the family health team approach where family doctors are working in a group with other family doctors so they can provide some peer support to each other. But they're also in the team are other healthcare providers, nurses, uh, allied health professionals, psychologists, um, social workers, uh, pharmacists helping with medication review, uh, and, uh, and others. And I think that this is a, a model of care which uh, can actually provide sort of a one-stop shop for many of our, our patients going to, going, uh, who are seeking uh, healthcare advice. Um, you mentioned that I've been president of the World Organization of, of Family Doctors. And, and in that role, I did that role for three years, I had the opportunity to, to visit 72 countries and look at what sort of reforms were happening in primary care in many countries around the world. And one of the countries I found most interesting was Brazil. And in Brazil, a country of 220 million people, um, the previous government has set up a system of family health teams. But they're different to Canadian family health teams. Family health teams in Brazil look after a defined geographic population. They're responsible for knowing everybody who lives in their catchment area. And the family doctors work with nurses and with community health workers uh, who are people from that local community. And the community health workers go door to door, they knock on every door, and they document who lives in every dwelling in that geographic area and what is their health status. And then they bring that together with the family doctors and the nurses so they truly understand who are the people who are frail and elderly in our community, who are the people who are young uh, parents, who are the people who are children who need to be followed up for immunisation and healthy child checks, who are the people with diabetes, with heart disease, with cancer in the community, who are the people with mental health challenges. And they can target the services they're providing. One of the challenges we have in Canada is, as family doctors, we know the people we know. We don't know the people we don't know. And you may look out your window and see all these homes, and we don't know who's behind 
all those doors? Who's behind all those windows? Are there frail elderly people who can't come and access us, who can't get to our clinics, who we should be providing outreach services to? Are there new arrivals to Canada, people who've come here as refugees or come here to work, who don't understand the Canadian healthcare system and don't know what a family doctor is and if something happens to someone in their family immediately take them to the emergency department thinking this is how you get access for care these people we need to be integrating uh, our services in the community the other thing with the with the brazilian model and each of these family doctors looks after about 3000 people but they also integrate specialist consultant services into those services as well so what you will have is a psychiatrist who looks after 10 of these family health teams and they will visit half a day a week to each of these 10 family health teams. And so patients can be rostered to come and see the psychiatrist if the uh, family doctor feels that they need to uh, get some consultant advice. And what this does is it provides an equitable model of care because all of a sudden there is a psychiatrist visiting every community across the country. Uh, So instead of being concentrated in high-income areas or in urban areas, um, they're providing care in low-income areas as well and in rural and remote areas across the country. And and as well as providing a, a referral service, also the psychiatrist is providing some peer support to the family doctors who they visit every week. And the family doctors can talk to them about patients they're seeing without the patients actually needing to necessarily come in. Family doctors can talk about how they're managing the work that they're doing. And the psychiatrists learn from the family doctor and the members of their team about the community that they're serving and about the challenges. So I think that, you know, looking around the world, you can often find new ideas about how we might do things a little bit differently and then bring those ideas home and then talk about, well, what would work here in downtown Toronto? What would work in northern Ontario in a remote community? What would work in other parts of, of this country and elsewhere? And also, what can we share about the successes that we have? And, you know, one of the things which I'm very keen on building is the, the primary care research base here at the University of Toronto, but also across Canada. So when we do have a new innovation, we do some evaluation of it, and then we report on it. So we can share those ideas with our colleagues right across the country. So we don't just have a good idea that occurs in one little area in Toronto. We have a good idea which occurs and works that we can share with everybody else. And then other people can take what may work for their communities. I mean, it's fascinating. I I love it. Um, I I think you're an amazing resource that you have this um, breadth of experience um, that can pull from 72 different countries and say, hey, what do we need to do here? And so I I think we have a role as the Department of Family and Community Medicine to start educating um, our caregivers, our providers, um, and how we can start integrating those ideas into everyday life. But the problem is, as somebody who's on the front lines in the community as a solo practitioner, I, I haven't heard of the of the conference. I haven't heard, I haven't seen the resource website. I haven't seen yet how, how can we get to actually operationalize these things? Because you've identified it's the same thing when you're doing research, uh, scholarship. You don't know what you don't know. You know, when you're in residency, um, 
they say that the most dangerous are those who, who don't know what they don't know. And sometimes that, that pot is huge. And so how do we get to access, how do we get those individuals who are at risk, the marginalized, frail individuals who don't have the capital investment available to them, whether it's knowledge or money, how do we get them into a system and use the system that's already available to get these people healthier? I, I don't have the answer for that. Mm-hmm. Well, I think there are, there are a number of answers. So, you know, it's a very complex question. So, uh, yeah, so of course. It, We're it here has, for complex. It has complex solutions. Yeah. Um, but there, there are a few which, which, which work. The first thing is I believe that part of our role as a family doctor is to be an advocate, an advocate for our individual patients, an advocate for the community that we serve. Um, Ian McQuinney, one of the great leaders in Canadian family medicine, uh, had a set of principles for family doctors which are worth worth looking at. And, uh, and one of the principles which I really loved was he said, a good family doctor should occupy the same habitat as their patients, which means that it's, it's a good idea to actually live in the community where you work as a family doctor. Because if you do that, then you will understand the social challenges affecting the community that you're looking after. You'll understand the, uh, the healthcare needs of that community, perhaps better than if you're driving into that community or commuting into that community from somewhere, from somewhere else. So I think we have a job to be an advocate. And you see this, you know, I'm so impressed by so many of the family doctors that I've met in Canada who have stood up to be a voice for people who don't have a voice in their local community who stand up and work with their local government, work with their local organisations, work with their local hospital to improve the healthcare services and access to services and improve equity of outcomes of healthcare for the people that they look after. And it is one of the things that we are specialists uh, in in family medicine. We are specialists in population health, specialists in the population that we serve. How do you find out about ideas, though? You find out about about ideas by talking to your peers. You find out, so as a solo doctor, having some way that you can meet with other family doctors in your local area and uh, and come together. And, you know, the college provides those opportunities. The Canadian Medical Association provides those opportunities. Uh, Continuing education uh, activities provide those opportunities to come together. I think also it can be really helpful for people to have a link to their local academic department of family medicine. Uh, Our department, we invite every family doctor in the world who is interested to join our online community, to subscribe to our monthly electronic newsletters where a lot of these ideas are being shared, uh, to engage in the conferences and the CME events uh, that we run. So, you know, I think there are lots of different ways of finding out about new ideas. You know, at the global level, if you have a particular interest, the World Organization of Family Doctors, Wonka, has a number of working parties in rural health, in mental health, in management of chronic disease, in the care of refugees, in the care of people who are homeless, in all sorts of different areas. And as a family doctor in Canada, you're welcome to join the online communities. Uh, And what a brilliant way of finding out how people manage different uh, challenges around the world. I've used these working parties to uh, send an email to the whole group saying, we're working on this area. Do you have any ideas from your country? And then I'll go to bed. And during the night, as 
time zones change and people wake up, people will answer the questions. And by the time I wake up the next morning, there's half a dozen amazing ideas from great family doctors around the world. You know, using the technology um, to share ideas and to learn from each other. Uh, and, you know, we, we're very generous in family medicine. You know, many of our colleagues are very generous with the advice that they'll share, the resources that they'll share, if you just reach out and ask. Yeah, I've noticed that actually in being in the department for almost 10 years now that um, there are a lot of mentors available if you're willing to, to be mentored, mm. um, if you will. And um, so we have a ton of opportunity then um, in this department to start sparking um, leadership, um, providing voice and support to people to create um, these networks, if you will, uh, they, they almost exist, right? I mean, you have the family health organizations, family health networks, family health um, groups that are already set up. And I, I guess we have an opportunity as the Department of Family and Community Medicine to reach out to them to see maybe each of these groups who take care of these special populations, right? Because they're probably a very homogeneous population. And, and following McWinney's principle, maybe we can find a way to reach out to these groups um, because there are, are thousands of foes set up in all over Ontario of how can we improve the population of these foes and start at the, that level and, and splinter down to each individual doctor. Uh, food for thought. I apologize that I'm, uh, I mean, I'm here interviewing you and here I am waxing on ideas of we can, we can change the world. Well, I, I think some of that is, is happening as well. You know, one of the, um, the innovations uh, in healthcare in the province of Ontario that I find really exciting at the moment is the establishment of what are called Ontario health teams. And these are uh, groupings of uh, people in the community, healthcare providers, healthcare organisations um, for serving a population of about 300,000 people and trying to look at how we better integrate family medicine and primary care with the local hospital and the services provided by the hospital and how we better integrate with social services being provided, especially to the frail elderly and people with disability uh, in our communities. And by doing so, how do we um, get uh, economies with less usage of very expensive hospital services and hopefully greater investment in community-based uh, services? We know that it's far more cost-efficient uh, for our government to be investing in health services at the community level where people are based rather than building more and more shiny hospitals which only provide care to small numbers of people. Yes, we need hospitals when uh, people uh, have certain uh, health requirements, but so many of the services provided currently through hospitals could be provided uh, and perhaps provided better through community-based services at a much lower cost. So, you know, I find this, uh, this initiative really interesting. I think it's only in its early stages and I think that it'll bring forward a whole lot of new ideas about how to do things differently. Um, but what works for one community of 300,000 people may not work for another community of 300,000 people. And I find that exciting too, that we actually have a government that is willing to allow uh, things to develop differently uh, based on different community needs, rather than expecting we have a cookie-cutter approach which we just provide uh, to every community across the province or across the country. Uh, and, you know, the other thing which I find really important is that these models require not just input from funders and hospital managers and 
clinicians and other healthcare providers. They also require input from the community, the community that is being served. And there is a global revolution underway at the moment called people-centred healthcare, which is trying to get healthcare services to do a 180-degree flip, if you like, from developing services which meet the needs of funders and managers and healthcare providers to delivering healthcare services which truly meet the needs of the communities that we're supposed to serve and getting that input. And, you know, if we had healthcare services which really met our community needs, then we wouldn't have, harking back to your comment earlier, we wouldn't have most of our psychiatrists working in downtown locations. We'd have distributed services where people are based in the communities where they're most needed. We would be not just relying on psychiatry to deliver healthcare services, but we'd be investing more in training more people working in family medicine and community services to deliver that care. We'd be investing more in placing our psychologists and other mental health professionals and therapists uh, within uh, within the healthcare settings where, where our patients are based. So, you know, that's more people-centred care. And I think that we're going what we're going to see, Ontario health teams are sort of helping to flip things a little bit, but they need to go all the way over and uh, uh, in, in order for us to, to provide the, the care that communities generally uh, need and, frankly, deserve. So I think you touched on the point earlier with uh, McWinney's principles of family medicine. I mean, you have to, good leaders meet people where they are. I mean, that's how you take the followers with you, right? Otherwise, you're out for a walk by yourself. You're a lone nut. Um, and so that I think that's what we need. To, we need to start meeting people where they are in order to have them come along and, and, and get engaged in the system. So this is where I ask you then, um, the podcast is called Small Changes, Big Impact. And so I'm curious to know, um, what small changes have you made? Um, or more importantly, what big impact are you most proud of that you've, that you've been a part of that you think stemmed from either uh, a change that you made with a patient or a change that you made yourself uh, um, in your role as a, as a physician that helped stem a, a big impact? And, and I want to hear a story. I want to hear, I think our listeners want to hear a great story. Yeah, so... You know, the first thing is a lot of what I know about family medicine and what might work in different settings has not come out of my head, has not come from academic literature, has not necessarily come from family medicine peers. It's come from my patients. So, you know, we have this great gift as family doctors that people come to see us and we help them, but they also help us. They help us to understand the challenges that our communities face in accessing the healthcare services they need. They help us to understand what it's like to live with medical conditions that we may not have experienced ourselves. They help us to understand how life can be challenging for people who live in different ways or have different beliefs or uh, have had uh, different opportunities in life than, than we may have had. So, you know, my greatest teachers are my patients. And many of the ideas that my patients have brought forward and many of the ways that my patients have challenged me as a family doctor you know I'll say here's what's happening here's what I think we should do is that going to work for you and they'll say no that's not going to work for me because it doesn't work for my life my lifestyle I can't afford it I can't get to wherever you want to send me Um, we need to come up with something else 
and uh, and so my my way of working with a fa- working as a family doctor has changed throughout my career uh, in response to the patients I've seen. But also I've been able to take those lessons and apply them in the leadership roles that I've had at a national level and at a global level. And perhaps the story I want to share with you is is how we worked in the World Organization of Family Doctors to try and change the world. So how we took some of these principles to try and change the world. So when I became president of the World Organization of Family Doctors, I looked at this organization, which represents 600,000 family doctors in 160 countries all around the world. And I thought, how is this organization actually going to change things and change things for the better? And we came up with three targets. The first target was to assist all these 180 countries, 160, 180 countries, to develop their own college of family doctors, their own grouping where family doctors could come together and set standards for healthcare in their country and set up extraordinary training programs to train family doctors to meet community needs. Now, we're very lucky in Canada. We have the College of Family Physicians of Canada. It's been around for a very long time. It does these things, but those colleges don't exist in every other country. So one of my my challenges was how do we set up these colleges in all these countries, especially in lower middle income countries? And family doctors from Canada and elsewhere have been working with our global organization to help their peers in many low income countries to set up their own college and set up their own groupings to bring family doctors together. So that was number one. And then the colleges, of course, can work with their governments to be advocates on how to change and improve healthcare for their populations. And one of the big global health movements is about how do we ensure everyone has access to healthcare services in the communities where they live. That was number one. The second one was looking at the the next generation of family doctors coming through and how do we support the next generation of family doctors to become leaders and advocates in their own communities and one of the ways which we've done that is by establishing young family doctor groups in each of the continents of the world so we set up these groupings led by young family doctors for young family doctors in every continent and again here in Canada, our college uh, has had this for a long time. It's encouraged the voice of the, uh, the medical students and the residents and the recent uh, uh, new uh, certified family doctors in all of college activities. Uh, and again, we're bringing that lesson to the rest of the world. So we've set up the Young Family Doctor Group in Africa. We've set up the Young Family Doctor Group in South America. We've set up the Young Family Doctor Group in the Asia Uh, Pacific region and in South Asia and in the Middle East, uh, where family doctors can start to work uh, together and older family doctors acting as mentors and supports. The third way that we wanted to change the world was by looking at the most influential global health group, which is the World Health Organization, and looking at how we as family doctors can inform the work that the WHO does. The WHO sets global healthcare policy, and then it rolls out policy and programs, especially in low and middle income countries around the world to improve healthcare services for everybody, but especially for the most vulnerable, marginalized uh, populations uh, on our planet. 
And so what did we do? We started working really closely with the WHO. We set up regular meetings. Wonka now has a, a memorandum of understanding with the WHO about how we'll work together. But more importantly, we set up working with the WHO in each of the regions of the world and then at the country level. So our colleagues developing up a new college in their country not only work with their government, they also work with the WHO office on how to roll out programs and how family medicine can have a voice and be involved and be a vehicle for rolling out new programs in different parts of the world. So it sort of starts at, at a very high level, a global level, and it rolls right down to how things are happening uh, between us as individual clinicians with our individual patients and the communities that we serve. And these ideas about how to do things differently, they come from the work we do each day as family doctors, the interactions we have with the peers, the experiences we have working with our colleges and our other uh, medical organisations and with our universities. Uh, and, you know, a lot of the, the, the uh, basis of, of these ideas for new policies comes from the research that we're carrying out in family medicine, the research that's being carried out by so many of the academic members uh, of our grad department. So then obviously there are going to be barriers to implementation. So what do you think the biggest barrier has been so far? Um, let's pick the, the last one um, in getting people um, on the front line to, to make a change. How do, how do we get people to follow that working with the WHO? Because if you said to family doctor up in Sudbury, hey, by the way, I want you to follow this guideline, they may say, ah, I don't think so. Yeah, no, I think that's that's very fair. And I think that um, guidelines in themselves are very important, but often they sit on a, sh on a shelf or nowadays they sit in a computer somewhere and are not necessarily read, not necessarily actioned. And we've actually got to look at ways that we practically put what's in the guidelines uh, into practice and changes in healthcare policy and changes in healthcare practice. And that happens through our education programs, through our continuing um, professional development, through the work of our college, through the work of our universities, on how do we actually translate what's in the guidelines into, into practical things. It's very challenging uh, working as a family doctor. You know, people work very hard, they're very busy, and it can be very challenging to get people to stop and think about, is there a different way of doing some of the things that we do on a day-to-day -day basis? Um, but family doctors are very resilient, are very flexible, and are willing to look at community needs. And, uh, and I think that it's a responsibility of our college and our medical association and our government ministry and our university departments to share these ideas in ways that are actually um, bite-sized, so people can actually pick them up and, and incorporate them step-by-step uh, step and help people to look at ways we might do things differently. Um, at the same time, respecting the great work that people are already doing and not saying, you know, we don't like what you're doing, it's got to change. It's more like, here's what you're doing, we really respect it, you're doing great work for your patients and your community. Here's some ideas um, which have worked in other places that you might like to consider um, adding into what you're doing. What added resources can we provide to you and your practice to help you to do things differently? Um, 
how can we move resources that are currently being spent in uh, overinflated um, hospital settings, perhaps, and provide some of those resources to you? Do we need all those nurses if, if we're actually doing a really good job in keeping people out of hospitals? Or can some of those nurses be funded to come and work in your setting and help you to deliver even better preventive care, health promotion, chronic disease management programs, uh, and so forth in your practice in the community where you're working? Can we take some of the uh, other health professionals who are now no longer needed in the hospitals and move them out and base them uh, in your practice to work with you? Can we get psychologists working with you, physiotherapists and others? Can we employ a pharmacist to come and work with your patients on many medications to see if we can rationalise some of those medications and reduce some of the side effects that occur from uh, people uh, taking multiple uh, uh, medications and 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 uh, and other treatments. Um, how can we work with you to make make things work better? And I think that's what the Ontario health teams are um, are trying to do. I, I saw it when I was in a family health team. We're trying to do this stuff. It just change takes time. It does, and as you've said, a lot of change is incremental. So it's the changes that we make and then sharing what actually has worked with our population and, importantly, what hasn't worked and why hasn't it worked. Because what works brilliantly in a downtown practice in Toronto may be absolutely hopeless in a rural uh, practice elsewhere in the country. You know, there's an equation to uh, explain that. Um, it's called uh, C plus M equals O. Uh, have you heard of this? It's a... Uh, it's a realist design, the underpinning theory of uh, Pawson and Tilly that talks about how uh, context plus the mechanism will equal the outcome. And so if you continually provide the same mechanism and change the context, do you really expect the same outcome every time? Mm, exactly. And so it's really um, behooves us to, to start implementing different mechanisms. And I think family doctors do that. I think we know, I don't know if it's trained, if it's instinctual, um, if it's genetic. Maybe there's a genetic component in every family doctor. And that's why we're family doctors that says, you know what, I, I just want better for my patients. And so you find the way to make it work for your patient, for that context, even though the mechanism may not be exactly the same. And you hear this from every family doctor who says, guidelines? Yeah, there are 6,000 guidelines, but my patient isn't in the guideline, unfortunately. And so that's why we know we just have to find a way to make it work. On that note, um, this has been quite lovely. Thank you so much for coming in. Um, let's leave readers, uh, left readers, listeners, um, sorry, I've got your book in front of me, um, uh, wanting more. Um, how about if they only knew? Give some advice to some um, uh, either learners trying to get into the system or learners early in their system. If they only knew some... Um, advice from, from, from Dr. Kidd? Look, my, my advice to, to listeners who are, are medical students, who are early, early in their career and are thinking about how am I going to spend my life and what am I going to do and what contributions that I'm going to make, is to get some experience working with a great family doctor. So actually get out there, maybe part of your formal medical uh, program curriculum, or it may be something you organise yourself. Just contact uh, one of the family doctors that you may know of and say, can I come and visit you? Can I come and have a talk to you about the career can, that you have? Can I come and talk to you about the challenges uh, that, that you're encountering? Can I come and see your practice, ha uh, see how it works? Um, sit in with you if your patients consent to, to watch some of the ways that you, you're doing what you do. Family medicine is a fantastic career. It's really exciting. The thing that I love most is it's about people. 
It's about relationships and it's about trust. And I think, you know, if there is a genetic component to being a family doctor, it's you need to be someone who likes people, who likes working with other people, who likes making a contribution, who likes listening to other people, listening to their stories, uh, learning uh, about the human condition. You know, I, I know I've had a good day in my practice as a family doctor if I've learned something new about humanity, about what it is to be a human being from one of my patients. I know I've had a good day if I've seen something new that I've never seen before. You know, we, we see patients with different conditions, with different presentations, with different complications uh, every day, uh, things which are not in the textbooks, things which have not yet um, been uh, been fully uh, understood and uh, and researched and uh, and it's a fascinating career. I know I've had a good day in my practice if at least one person has cried in my consulting room each day, not because I'm mean to my patients, but because I know many of my patients have undiagnosed depression, but they don't come in saying I'm feeling depressed. They come in saying I'm not sleeping well, I'm not eating well, I've lost interest, uh, I'm I'm distressed in other ways. And I've also know I've had a good day in my practice if at least one person has laughed in my consulting room and that we've shared some of the joy uh, of, of human existence. I've, I've told someone who's desperately trying to have a baby that, yes, they're pregnant. I've told someone, uh, someone's come in with a good news story about, uh, about their care and, uh, and about, uh, about their health and well-being. Well, I've thoroughly enjoyed this. So you put a smile on my face. Uh, probably I'll go home later and cry. So you'll hit two of those today. Um, just kidding. Um, thank you so much. It's been, it's been really lovely. Thanks. Thanks, Jeremy. This podcast was made possible through the support of the Department of Family and Community Medicine at the University of Toronto. Special thanks to Alison Mullen, Brian De Silva, and the whole podcast committee. Thanks for tuning in. See you next time.